Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Thanks for being here uh, on this Sunday. Uh, also, just want to say thanks to Charles for being here, leading us with our band that's been a part of this church for a long time. And so, uh, a blessing to be led in worship this morning. Uh, if you are new, we have been in a series for a few weeks now in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and we've titled this series, Faith in a Strange Land. Uh, the book of Daniel describes the time of Jewish exile when the majority of Jews were taken captive. They were ripped from their hometown to live in the strange foreign land of Babylon, a land that was resistant and hostile to their faith in God. This book obviously focuses on the person of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and some of, some of his friends, they were the cream of the crop of the Jewish youth living in Jerusalem. They were wealthy, brilliant, they had the looks of an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Right? They, they had it going on. And they were selected to be trained, educated, and assimilated into the culture of Babylon so that they would become its future leaders. I started this series preaching Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel is a young teenager forced by the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, into this three-year cultural assimilation plan. And the story that we're going to look at this morning is in Daniel chapter 6. And at this point, Daniel is now 70, 80, maybe even 90 years old. Daniel is toward the end of his life, and he is still faithfully living in Babylon as one who trusts in his God. Uh, if you were here last week or you watched last uh, Evan mentioned that he likes talking to older people because they have no notion that they're the most high, right? that they know their life is frail and death is imminent. They know they're not God. Well, I have always loved spending time uh, with people that are 70, 80, 90 years old who are Christians because they've lived where I'm going. Uh, they've gone through the ups and downs, joys and pains of this broken and strange world and have held firm to faith in God. And they can tell me all about the journey. If, if I can, just please do, do a quick insert here. Um, I realize that our uh, median age of a as a church trends younger. Uh, we have a lot of families with littles, and we have a lot of people who are connected to the university, and we, we love that. So if you are older, 50, which I know is not that old, 60, 70, 80, our church needs you. Your story, your gifts, I'm being honest, please stay and be a blessing to our church. Yeah, we, we really do want you here. Uh, because Daniel 6 is the last historical installment of Daniel's life, and in it we get the older, faithful Daniel showing us how to live faithfully in the strange culture in which we find ourselves in, a culture that can also be hostile to faith in God. Sociologists agree that our current uh, culture here in North America and in the West is post-Christian, meaning that that society views Christian faith now as a detriment to society, no longer a benefit, but a detriment. And in Daniel chapter 6, uh, some of you already know, it's a, it's a very familiar passage, perhaps top three stories of all time in the Bible, right? Daniel and the lion's den. It's widely known, though it is often wrongly interpreted and taught. Uh, and as a result, I believe it's caused a lot of damage to those who've heard it taught this way and, and will cause damage as people teach it this way. And so I'm going to come back to that later in my sermon. But it, because it's a, a popular, well-known story, I just needed to say that at the beginning. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, and then verses 16 to 23. And so if you can or are able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we do all, always give attention 
to the reading of God's word in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no, no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And then we'll, we would have read in verses 11 through 15 that these conspirators, as they suspected, found Daniel praying. They report him to King Darius they hold the king to his word to punish anybody who had prayed to anybody besides the king. And King Darius is in great distress because he deeply loves Daniel. And then we pick up in verse 16. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Pray with me. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us you, the living God, has given the scriptures to reveal who you are. Would you, Holy Spirit, take the scriptures and bring them to bear on our spirits? You know where we are. You know our thoughts. You know our hearts. And, and so would you transform us as you speak to us? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you. God, would you speak to us in this moment? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, in 2005, I went with a small group to Malawi, Africa on a short two-week trip to visit the African Bible College. And it was a wonderful trip seeing how God was at work in and through this college. But there's one thing that I will never forget about the trip, and it had nothing to do with the Bible College. 
Our group spent a weekend in Zambia going on a safari. And as we pulled into the grounds of this national park, you could see animals everywhere. It was breathtaking. And all of us had been talking about seeing the king of the jungle. I wanted to see the lion. And the first night, the guide tells us that they're going to take us out into the, into the national park in a jeep without a top to look for lions. And I immediately start thinking, open air jeep, lions, this doesn't seem to be a very good idea. But I jumped in anyway with the four others in this jeep. And one hour into the trip, we spot this huge male lion walking down the road that we're driving on. And the guide turns to us and tells us, don't worry, the lion only sees one large image and we're gonna be parked, not moving. So it's gonna be one large image that's not moving. The lion doesn't see every individual person in the Jeep, but we're all gonna need to be still and, and, and be quiet. <laughs> I had no other option but to trust and believe him at this point. And I'm in the back of the Jeep on the far right side of the Jeep. The Jeep pulls over to the left side of the road, which means this massive male lion is about to walk slowly past me. And he's coming down the road and my heart is pounding. And I may be about to go to the bathroom in my pants as this lion, literally, I could have reached out and touched this lion, walks right past me and my heart is about to come out of my chest. It was the scariest and the most exhilarating experience I've ever had. It was amazing. And I later thought, what if my daily job was to be a safari guide where every day I would encounter lions the way I just did? I mean, what if your job required you to daily encounter something that might seriously harm you, might even kill you? Jesus tells us that if we follow him, the world will hate us. He says, if they harmed me, they're going to harm you. If they crucified me, expect for things not to go so well for you. Following Jesus in this world is not easy. It is daily engaging and encountering a world that will inflict harm and suffering. So how do we live faithfully in this strange land? There's five things that I think Daniel teaches us about living faithfully in a world that can harm us. Five things. We'll go through each of them fairly quickly. The first is integrity. Integrity. The whole plot of this story turns on Daniel's integrity. Look at verse 5. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel has integrity, which is having consistent character. Even when there is pressure to compromise, Daniel has a character that is predictable. Now, I'm sure some of you, if not many of you, have heard now the news of Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias was one, of, is, was one of the most gifted and used apologists of our time. He died one year ago, May of 2020. And details have now emerged uh, of Ravi abusing his spiritual power for years to engage in sexual abuse and misconduct. And it's tragic and sad for the victims, and it's tragic and sad that a Christian leader would wreak such havoc and devastation because of lacking integrity. But the reality is that Ravi is just one in a long line of Christian leaders and Christians whose insides 
did not match their outsides. And sadly, it will not be the last time that news breaks of a Christian leader doing something along these lines. We, we live in a society that is leery of Christianity and Christians. And when things like this happen, when there is a lack of integrity, when someone professes one thing but acts completely different, it discredits the gospel. And it calls into question the very God we say we trust. Daniel lived with integrity. The conspirators knew that because of his faith in God, he wouldn't stop worshiping and praying to God, even when there was this injunction to not pray to anybody besides King Darius. The question for, for us, for you, if you've examined your life, what is the most predictable thing about you? Does your inside match your outside? integrity. The second thing we learn about living faithfully in a world that can harm us is prayer. If you were here when I preached Daniel chapter one, I talked about Daniel's rhythm and habits of prayer that shaped and formed him as a young man. And here we see even more so Daniel as an old man still living into the routine and the habit of prayer. I find it interesting as I think about my own life and when I've witnessed the lives of many Christians I've, I've known that when someone is younger in their faith, not necessarily young in age, but young in their faith, just come to know Christ and in a relationship with Christ, there is a high value on spontaneity. But the older you get and the more you kind of spend time with the Lord, there's a, there's a high value on the power of repetition. And Daniel here is older in his faith and he is living into this habit of prayer, has been doing so for decades. And our passage doesn't tell us what Daniel prayed, but how Daniel prayed. Look with me at how Daniel prayed. The first thing is Daniel prayed privately. He went into his house. He wasn't making a show, letting everybody know how his prayer life was. The second thing, Daniel opened his windows toward Jerusalem. Now that's not a command in the Bible. Uh, it, this was an aid for Daniel. He opened his window toward Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the place of God's covenantal promises. It was the place of God's special presence. And in doing this, Daniel was reminding himself that God had made promises to those in covenant with him, that God was going to restore Israel as a people and as a place. The third thing we see about how Daniel prayed is he got down on his knees. By kneeling, Daniel is saying, Darius is not the true king. But I bow before the true king. Daniel shows us posture matters in prayer. Our bodies matter as we pray. Kneeling is not the only posture. It's a very helpful posture. There are other postures that you can use in prayer. And we see some of these in scripture. Lying flat on your stomach as you pray. Sitting just with your hands on your thighs and praying and taking a deep breath and coming before God. You can turn your hands open and up. You can stand and raise your hands as you pray. Posture matters. Our bodies matter because they help guide us to pray in specific ways. The fourth thing Daniel shows us about how to pray is he prayed three times a day, meaning Daniel planned for a relationship with God. Daniel set aside three times a day to intentionally meet with God. If you're married or if you're in a dating relationship, even in a friendship, you have to have a plan to sustain the relationship. 
We're going to go on a date night. We're going to take walks. We're going to gather for a lunch. We're going to get up early and have coffee or stay up late and drink tea, whatever it might be. You have to have a plan to develop the relationship. It's no different with God. If you've been around Christ Central at all, you've heard us talk about the ancient practice of the daily office, setting aside three to five times a day to, to intentionally pray. That's going to be super long times, but three minutes, five, ten minutes. There's not a formula, but it is a, a helpful, intentional practice. I've kind of joked with some of our leadership in the church as we've God's blessed us with this building and we're doing renovations and uh, kind of serious uh, that I would, uh, I would love to add a steeple on this sanctuary with, with bells, like a big bell tower. So like in the past, when the church would gather, the bells would strike and it would be a, a, a reminder to turn our attention to God in prayer and in worship. I, I know prayer is a, a religious word and it sounds scary to many. So let me just encourage you that, that, the, that at some level, the only way to learn to pray is to pray. For decades, Daniel just prayed. And as a result, his heart belonged to God and his character was shaped by God. The third thing Daniel teaches us about how to live faithfully in a world that can harm us is redemptive engagement. Redemptive engagement. Daniel was really good at his job. Really good. Verse 3 tells us Daniel distinguished himself. Verse 23, he prospered during the reign of Darius. Verse 14, when King Darius hears about Daniel, he is distressed. The king loves Daniel because Daniel made him a better king and has made his kingdom a better place to live. As Christians living in this world, we are not to assimilate, we're not to accommodate to the culture, but we are to engage our culture. Daniel was a Jewish exile taken out of his country, and there were many teachers among the Jews who would say to survive this exile, we need to retreat. We need to live together, eat our own food, listen to our own music, and just be with our own people. But if, if you read Daniel's teacher, the, the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, no, as exiles, you seek the peace and the prosperity of the city in which you live. You build houses, you marry, you have children. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he calls Christians to be the salt of the earth. The purpose of salt in the ancient world was not a spice, it was a preservative. You put salt in places where things were decaying. Salt pushed back the decay. As Christians, we are to engage this world in such a way that we are pushing back the decay, pushing back the brokenness of this world. And right after Jesus says, Christians, you're the salt of the earth in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're a light unto the world, a city that shouldn't be hidden. Don't put it under a, a basket. Don't put your light under a basket. Showcase the glory of God by the way in which we live our lives to engage all spheres and all places of influence with the hope of redemption and restoration. That's what I mean by redemptive engagement. We are to be full contact Christians, not partial, but fully engaging with all people in all structures and all spheres of society. And as we engage, we pray that our faith in Christ would be manifested in the way in which we talk, in the ways we act, in the, in the very decisions that we make, and that this would result in the flourishing of all people and of our city. And doing this sometimes means contact hurts, and it's painful because not all people understand 
what we are engaging in and why we're engaging in it. But it's our call as Christians to engage redemptively in all places and with all people. I mean, can you imagine if all Christians withdrew from society and culture? What would happen if if Christians just withdrew from the spheres of banking and media, the academy, arts, finance, law, society would suffer. It's why since day one of our church, we have prayed and said that we hope to be a church full of people that are seeking the good and the flourishing of our city by redemptive engagement. So much so that if Christ Central were to go away, the city of Durham would be grieved. We would be missed. The fourth thing Daniel teaches us about how to live faithfully in a world that can harm us is suffering. Suffering. Daniel, he suffered his entire life from the beginning of exile to the lion's den. And in our passage, Daniel has conspirators against him. And they are filled with racism. They despise Daniel because he's a Jew. They're jealous because Daniel has power. He has the power in essence to be, he's the prime minister been appointed to now be the prime minister. And he he faces a lot of hostility. And Daniel suffers because he believed in and followed the God of the Bible. And he was unwilling to accommodate to the culture. So don't be surprised if if the world is hostile toward you and your faith. We are living in exile. And let me say this too, don't get angry and wag your finger at the world either. Instead, we expect suffering, and then we ask the Lord to allow us to suffer with a love for the world. And do you realize that this very day, there there are people all over the world who will die for their faith in Christ? Literally thousands of people every day who hold courageously to their faith in Christ in the face of physical death. And I do not say that to shame us. I say that to encourage and exhort us to expect suffering. It is part of living in exile. And and our suffering in Durham, North Carolina, probably will not be martyrdom. But being a Christian can be viewed as strange by many people. Many of you probably have seen the we believe signs that are all over our city, all over my neighborhood. We believe science is real, love is love, right? It's the current secular creed showing what is prized and valued by our culture. And there's, there's many good things in it, but if you're a Christian, we, we don't necessarily put up yard signs with our creedal beliefs, but we do every week recite the apostles creed. And here's what we'll recite at the end of this worship service. What we recite every week, some of it, I believe, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth that God became a person, a man named Jesus, that God, that this God-man Jesus was killed on a cross for the sake of the world, and then this Jesus raised to new life, ascended into heaven, and then sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. If we were to put that creed in our yard as a yard sign, we would be viewed as quite strange by many. It is a different belief than our society. And to believe it is to almost ask to be persecuted in some way. And so let me ask another question. If you are not suffering at all for your faith in Christ, 
Are you overly accommodating? Have you overly assimilated into the culture? Here's the fifth and final thing that Daniel teaches us about living faithfully in a world that can harm us. This one's quicker. Delight in God. Delight in God. Daniel's chief aim was a love of God and a delight in God. I think if Daniel's life teaches us one thing, it is that the reward that Daniel sought was God himself. The song that we just sang, singing Psalm 27, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's the one thing Daniel sought, to be with God in the presence of God. He was willing to give his physical life away. He was unwilling to sacrifice his spiritual life. He delighted in God. Now at the beginning, I... I told you that many people have butchered this very familiar story in, its te- in their teaching in, in, I believe, harmful ways. And so let me point out two lies that I believe are often taught by this passage. I've already alluded to them. But here are the two lies that I think are often taught. Here's the first one. God will always protect you from danger and trials. It can be taught. Just yeah, Daniel, God protected Daniel from the mouth of the lions. God's going to protect you. But God doesn't always guarantee that he'll protect us from harm. And and believing this is damaging because what happens to your faith when suffering and trials come? The second lie that is often taught is that the reason God protects you is because you did the right thing. And the text can be taught, Daniel, in Daniel was found no harm. Daniel did the right thing. Therefore, God protected him. But that is damaging. Because what happens to your faith when you do the right thing and you still suffer? These two lies that will either cause you to be mad at yourself because you're not good enough or mad at God because he doesn't hold up his end of the deal. The point of this story is not go be like Daniel. That teaching is damaging. But you're like, okay, preacher, Pastor Daniel, you just kind of told us to be like Daniel, didn't you? Well, no and yes. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, every single one of us has our own failures in the areas of integrity, prayer, redemptive engagement, suffering, and delighting in God. We are not always faithful in this strange land. Daniel chapter 6 is the last historical account of Daniel's life, which means Daniel dies. Daniel is one in a long life a long line of beautiful lives that have been snuffed out. The point of the story, of this Daniel story, is to point us to another and greater Jewish exile. One who was more innocent than Daniel. There was no charge that could be raised against him. One who delighted in his heavenly father and withdrew from the world to pray. One who was a victim of false charges and an unjust trial. One who faced the roaring lion of God's justice. But this Jewish exile was not spared from death. He would die on a cross. And like Daniel, he would be sealed in a tomb by a stone. And Jesus Christ would defeat not only lions, but death itself by the power of his resurrection. And because of Jesus, we can know and trust that we will experience the Lord's deliverance. Because we live in a world filled with lions, a world that will harm us, but God has promised to deliver us. He will deliver us. 
Do you believe that? He will deliver us. Now, it may not be in the way or in the timing we would desire, but because of what Christ has done, we have a sure hope. He is the anchor of our souls that in the end, deliverance will be eternal. And this story of the lions not opening their mouth in the den with Daniel, it's, it's an incredible miracle. And miracles in the Bible, by the way, are not the cessation of the natural order, but they are the restoration of the natural order. They were signposts pointing to the way God created things to be. That's why we read in Isaiah 11, where we hear that Jesus Christ in his great deliverance and his restoration will cause the wolf to dwell with the lamb and the calf and the lion to lie together. Daniel chapter 6 is a picture of our promised deliverance. And we will not just lie down with the lions because in Jesus Christ, we are witnesses to the greatest miracle the world has ever known, the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection points us to the way God intends the world to be, delivered, set free from death and sin, from hostility and harm. And so we put our trust in Jesus for he is the only completely pure exemplar of integrity and prayer and redemptive engagement and suffering and delight in the Father. And as we trust Jesus by faith in Christ, we are united to him, we commune with him, and then he empowers us to live faithfully in this world that can and will harm us. And until our exile is over, until we experience the great deliverance, we engage our world where we are certain to face lions every day, but we engage our world seeking the good and the flourishing of all people in all places, and we engage it knowing that Jesus goes with us. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I ask that you would help us to trust you, Jesus, and our great deliverance that is promised and this world that is difficult to live in, the suffering, the pain that we all are going through or will go through, one day it will end. And until that day, Jesus, would we be united to you in faith? Would we commune with you? And would you empower us to be people of integrity, to be people of prayer, to engage this world, to endure suffering with joy, and to have our chief aim be delight in relationship with you. That one thing and one thing only do we seek. That we might dwell in the house of our God, in the presence of our God forever and ever. Amen.